I think it took some of my anger away that I was feeling. And from that, you know, we were driving home. One, I don't know if it was that night oh, or right. later. Oh, was that night? <laughs> it was okay that night. And I said to Scott, you know, it's so sad that they can't leave this because they're in this this um, area that they can't drive from. They're stuck. And out their door are people selling drugs. And here they are trying to get clean. the Faith in the Family podcast, hosted by Drs. Brian and Jamila Stafford. This podcast was designed to help Christians lead happier, healthier, and more faithful families. Scott and Michelle, we're so happy to have you today. Could you tell us a little bit about how you two met? and your walk with the Lord together? To, to the meeting part, um, years ago, back in 1980, I went to work at a warehouse in Langhorn. And uh, a few weeks after I started working there, um, this young lady came in to show off her baby to uh, <laughs> the people that were, that were there in the, uh, in the lunchroom. And uh, you can you can answer to what how that felt for you at that point. Well, at that point, it was a little odd because when I had left, I think 12 weeks before, I don't think any of the people that were in the lunchroom even worked there. So I'm sure they were like, who is this late woman and with this child and why is she showing him to us? But I thought I knew everybody, but it was pretty funny, but it, it ended up being really good. I, we both worked there for quite a while. Um, I, I guess eventually I was married at the time and, and my marriage ended a little while later. Um, and then Scott and I, basically, we would just became friends. Um, it was, uh, we were all friends in that group and, um, it was it. We were friends for quite a few years, probably a good two or three years. Mm -hmm. Um, we got along really well. We actually worked together closely in the office and eventually, um, it just grew into more. It just blossomed into more. I mean, for me, it was kind of weird. We went away with friends. A whole group of us went away and I'd seen Scott every day. And then I turned the corner. I turned around into the backyard of where we were and he looked different. I, I can't tell you what that means, but I looked at him and I just felt something. And it was odd because I had seen him every day for however many years since. And then he just looked different that day. So, and you can tell the other story of when we were first date. Yeah, well, the, yeah, because <laughs> the first time... She, she, Michelle is actually the one that asked me out and, uh, my Very bold woman yes, I am. And, and my response was, I'll have to think about it. <laughs> <laughs> and I, really the reason was, cause I was just shocked. I really wasn't expecting it. Okay. Um, but I almost within five minutes, I think I called her on the office phone and said, you know, I'm sorry. Uh, you know, I'd love to love to do something. So we, we went out and our first date was the uh, 1983 Phillies pennant winning uh, game. So it was an interesting date, which led to years later, um, I proposed to her at a Phillies game with a airplane pulling a banner around the stadium. It was the it was, uh, Veterans Stadium. stadium the wow. Yeah, he's very impressive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, our faith journey was was very different. Um, I mean, we both had different growing up with our faith. I actually grew up at Woodside Church. I went to 
I actually went to Sunday school there, but I went to church there. I ended up going to youth group there. Uh, went there through my junior high years and then kind of fell away from it when I got into high school, I guess the later high school. And then kind of, for the most part, left the church for 30-something years. Michelle was a was brought up a Catholic. Mm-hmm. And when we did get married, you know, we didn't get married in a Catholic church. We actually did get married at Woodside. It wasn't by Pastor Doug. It was the pastor that was before him. And uh, then for, you know, for several years after that, um, we did or she continued to go to Catholic church, especially with her son and then our daughter. Um, And I went sometimes, you know, more as a support type of thing. But it wasn't until later that we actually started uh, both uh, being very involved in church. Um, And that came from when my father passed away, we asked Pastor Doug if he would do the service, and he did, and he just just blew us away with with the service that he did, the the memorial uh, eulogy, and just everything about it. So we decided that we wanted to go see one of his services, and we did that several weeks later, I think. Yeah, Um, it was a few weeks later. Um, and just really enjoyed um, the service that we went to. We went to a celebration service, um, which just worked for the two of us and our daughter. Um, it was funny though; we didn't think they ever sat down because we were sitting there, and, and we were—I felt like we were standing for the longest time. I'm like, do they ever sit here? <laughs> Are we going to be standing the whole time <laughs> and clapping? And it just wasn't what we were used to. Mm-mm, no. So, and then, uh, yeah. So. In, And we just started going occasionally and and more than occasionally. And Mm -hmm. suddenly one day we just decided, hey, I guess we're members of this church now. We we joined the church together. Me, myself, growing up, there really wasn't much. I I did go to Catholic school, but we just didn't have a strong faith in our family. Um, It it just wasn't. I went to church once, you know, on Sundays because I had to. Um, I think my parents raised, put me in a Catholic school because they didn't want me to go into a public school while I was in Philadelphia. They didn't want me to be raised through that school system, but faith just wasn't really something we even talked about in our family growing up. And I, I, sadly, I'll confess, I did the same thing with my son. I didn't want him to go into a public school and I just repeated my parents' behavior, put him in a, a, a Catholic school because that's what you're supposed to do. Um, but we, again, we didn't really attend church on a regular basis. And I didn't raise him with any type of faith. What he got was through what he learned at school, just like me. And, and I remember when we did start at Woodside, uh, one of the first things we did is we went to Alpha, you know, the Alpha course mm-hmm. as a beginner's. Um, and I do remember thinking that, uh, you know, I have this, I went to Catholic school for 12 years. I know all the answers. Like, what could they tell me any differently about Catholic faith? I mean, you know, I went to school, I read the books. Um, but when I walked out of that first session, and even after the 12 week course, I, I really learned how much I didn't know. And it was a little scary. And it kind of, um, it, it made me afraid to go further, because it, it just seemed like, what is the expectation here? It was, it frightened me a little bit. So Scott definitely was all in, I think with almost both feet and where I kind of was just dipping my toe for several years, because I, I think I was shook a little bit. Cause I thought I, I had, I thought I had a strong faith, which I didn't, but at the time I thought I did. So he was definitely bolder with his faith and I'm 
I'm, I'm more bolder now, obviously, than I was, but it took me a long while to get to that point because I was scared. I was afraid to step out of that zone that I thought I knew. It was different. That's kind of odd, too, because I wasn't brought up with faith either. My parents really, they when they lived in New England, they went to church, but when they moved down here, they never really found anything that connected with them. So they did find Woodside, but that was more for us. And I was really the only one of my siblings who ended up taking it as far as I did. Um, and to be honest, the only one who has continued with it as well, you know, obviously years later, but so that's how, that's how we ended up at Woodside at least. So I'm, I'm curious, when you talk about a lot of different things, you talk about blended families and things like that, was Michelle already had a son when you guys were together. How did that relationship start or build or develop? Between us, between my stepson? or Yes. My... Yeah, how did that go when you guys were together? Because sometimes that's, you know, hesitancy for the guys in the relationship, or there can be combativeness from the stepson, from this new figure coming in. There, there really never was. I, I really don't think. I mean, it, I mean, there were a couple of times probably, and, and I know I, I talked with my mom about it a couple of times when I first started dating, but it really just felt comfortable from the very beginning. I mean, I think really one of the things that if, if her story is correct, and she, she didn't say exactly how I remember it, but you know, one of the ways that, that she first saw me in a different light was because that weekend, the whole group of us were away. Yeah. I was picking up Jimmy and throwing him in the air and catching him and, and like over and over, like probably for like 20 minutes. Yeah. Maybe that's why he looked different. You're doing the whole three, two, one blast off thing. And then, you know, and that. so that our relation, the relationship part really started through Jimmy in some ways. Yeah. I never had any kind of um, conflict with Jimmy's father. Um, we've always gotten along. We we're not best friends or anything, but we always got along. Mm -hmm. And so it just it just kind of grew. In fact, for the first several months or a couple months at least, we really dated just the two of us. Like Jimmy wasn't really part of the dating because I think Michelle wanted to make sure that it wasn't something that was just going to be short term. No, we, we definitely took it slow with him, um, bringing him into the relationship. Um, when we went out, I, I would go out with him, you know, my mom or my dad or whoever would babysit my son. And it did take several months before we kind of introduced him, you know, like doing things together as a, as a family. Because how old was Jimmy when you guys started dating? We, he was a brown, three. yeah, he was three. three he was three dating. when we started dating. He was almost seven when we got married he actually gave michelle away at the yeah at the it was it almost stole the shop yeah oh, that is so sweet yeah, when they when the pastor asked who was you know who was giving the bride away jimmy was the one that piped up and you just heard the awes all over the church <laughs> it was cute yeah. and, and jimmy really did love scott and he looked up to him and, and Scott was always there. You know, he was the coach. He did the coaching thing. He helped him with his homework. I mean, he was he was a good father figure and he was just present. You know, he didn't necessarily have the same type of relationship with his own father. He had that father figure, that positive father figure with his with with Scott. But he always called him Scott. He yep. never called him dad and we never forced it. You know, he called him Scott from the beginning and all the way through. So we never pushed that. We didn't make that a, a, a prior, like a, a requirement or whatever the word is. 
when did you have your your daughter? Was it soon after you got married or some other time? Uh, we got married in 87 and she was born in 93. Okay. okay. So Jimmy was 13 when Liz was born. How did that, how did they interact with one another because of a large gap? Early on, I mean, it was more of a, you know, kind of, I mean, Jimmy definitely cared for his sister, mm-hmm. and, um, but it, there was definitely more of a, of a, of a gap there. Mm-hmm. Um, they actually got much closer in their relationship as they got as older. As they got older. I think early on, like while we had, Elizabeth was young, you know, at that age, Jimmy was 13. So he was hanging out with his friends. Um, so he wasn't around as much. And he's probably spent more time with his um, his father at that point in yeah, his life, yeah, you know, um, than he did with us. Um, and he went through some challenging times, Jimmy did during that those years, that adolescent years were a little strugglesome. So uh, it was tough. It was a tough time, but they're definitely were closer you know, like Scott said, when they were older, when they were more of a, when she became more of an adult, yeah, the common that. interests. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you want to tell Jimmy's story of what, what happened to him with addiction? Um, you know, I can tell you as much as, as I know, you know, he was, which I learned later, he was 19 the first time that he used. He says that it was introduced to him by a friend. He told me once that somebody told him about it or offered it to him and in his head he said and I believe he was telling me the truth at this point you know with addiction it's really hard to know you know how true some of the things that you're told is but I believe he was telling me the truth at that point where he told me that when when it was offered to him he figured you know let me give it a try you know I'm stronger than this I'll be fine I I won't get addicted I'll just do it once and that'll be the end of it and we all know how that ends what what was it heroin or I think so yeah I mean he he drank and smoked pot I'm sure up to that he might have even taken medic like pills but I think the first time he used heroin was 19 and he just figured he was stronger than that but he wasn't and then it just became a, a long-term um, cycle. We, we went through all the different, you know, anger, frustration, tough love, kicking him out, having him come back, you know, just over and over and over again, mm-hmm. pretty much until he finally moved in with his father full time and they started working together. But it's still like he had years where he would remember so he'd have long periods of time where I think he was clean, but then he'd slip off um, and he'd use again. You know, he went away for three years to Florida um, rehab. for rehab. And he seemed to be doing well at first. Um, something happened down there and he lost his, he lost his car. He lost his job. Um, it was a hurricane. It was a hurricane. Yeah, the hurricane. one of the hurricanes, but. I think, and at that time, I don't think he was using, but he was drinking heavily. In mm-hmm. fact, I drove down there to pick him up. I left after work on a Friday, drove straight through down to Boca Raton, and he was supposed to drive on the way back, at least some of it. And he had been out all night drinking. With his friends. With his friends. And I said, him know, as, we, as we started driving home, he, I saw him close his eyes at one point, and I, I Shook him to wake him up, obviously, since he was driving. And that's when he told me he'd been up all night. And I was like, get out. I'm driving. And again, that just started the cycle. It was, then it was alcohol for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it just it just kept going on, you know, off and on. 
Uh, we tried different things, you know, with ministry, which I'm sure we'll talk about um, until, you know, one day, you know, Michelle got the call from her ex that he had, you know, gone into the bedroom and found that Jimmy had died of an overdose. And that was in uh, 2016. How did you two react to that? Well, I was um, actually at work. I I left my phone and I went, I was going, I went to see my manager and I came back to my desk and I saw that, that I had a phone call uh, from my ex. So I picked it up and it was through a voicemail that he told me. So I, I called him back and I, you know, he was obviously very upset and I was like, okay, so what happened? And he told me, you know, what he thought had happened, you know, he came home and um, the one dog was in the house, which when he left, the dog was in the yard. So he thought Jimmy must have come home. So he went into his bedroom and he didn't see him and he called for him and didn't see him. So then he left, you know, left the room and was doing stuff. And he was looking around like, or like, why isn't Jimmy home? And he mm-hmm. went, yeah, for dinner. And then he went back into Jimmy's bedroom. And here, I guess he must have been behind a piece of furniture or something because he just had popped his head in and didn't see him, like didn't go in the room. Mm-hmm. So this time he went into the room and he saw him on the floor. and. And he surmised that he probably had been gone for, you know, a few hours because he was cold. It was upsetting because I did I call you Mm -hmm. and tell you and we I drove home from there. And then then we went to tell our daughter she was in an apartment. She wasn't living here then. And we went to tell her in person. person. Yeah, we drove. The hardest thing I've ever done in my life was to go to, to Liz's apartment to tell her her brother passed away. Yeah. How did you cope? after that well i threw myself right into well i was already in the ministry at that point the recovery uh prison recovery ministry and i just threw myself completely into sharing everything you know what had happened um it just that was my way of releasing in some ways Uh, in fact i was scheduled the week after the funeral service uh, and I was the one who did the schedules, but still, I was scheduled to deliver the message that week at the prison service. And one of the ladies in the prison ministry copied me on it, but sent an email out to all the other people in the ministry saying, hey, can somebody take this from Scott you know, this week so he doesn't have to do this? And I immediately replied, no, I am obviously scheduled to this for a reason. And so I you know, created my message for that night and went in. And somehow, I mean, I brought a, a handful of tissues because, I mean, I was going up and down with crying, you know, on a regular basis. And I got through the whole message without shedding a tear. Mm-hmm. Um, later on, I broke down again. But it, it was just, you know, it was, again, it was obvious that that was my way of, of dealing mm-hmm. with this um, and then trying to support Michelle and Liz as well. I didn't share. I, I tend to be a little less open. <laughs> <laughs> for lack of a better word. Uh, I know I cried, but I'm, I don't, I think it was more private. I wasn't one to share with people. Um, if when I, and I just, I continued to work. I stayed home and worked from home, but I worked the whole time and I probably worked more. And when anybody would bring it up to me in a phone conversation, I would be like, like, okay, thank you very much. And then I would go right back to work. Like I just was trying to avoid it. That was my way. But when I was alone, it was a different story, but I just wasn't one to really want to share it. I mean, and even now, I guess probably more now I'm more open about it. But at that time, I just didn't want to really discuss it. 
and that's how I handle things. If I, if it's something I'm not, um, if it's a challenging situation, instead of confronting it, I'll just get busy over here. I'll find something else to do. Um, and, and then I'll deal with it privately. We're, we were constantly blessed by you know, so many and so many friends. I mean, we got yeah. the call, you know, I mean, we, we told, you know, our friends and family, you know, both in church and ministry and a group of the people in the ministry you know, asked if they could come over, you know, they, they wanted to come over with us. Mm -hmm. And at first I was kind of hesitant because I really didn't want to spend an hour praying and crying and praying, you know, and yes, when they came over, we prayed and we cried. But we also just talked. They, they they just came and they just talked to us and just talked with us and just we told some stories and then you know and then maybe we pray a little bit more mm -hmm. and you know but it wasn't what I expected. Yeah, it was very releasing mm -hmm. in, in a lot of ways. And then the next night, Doug came over mm -hmm. and again, just he came over just, just you know, to, to make talk. sure we were okay and to talk and you know to be their support and and we saw that from. Yeah, obviously from from family, but also just from our Woodside family as well. It was just they were extremely supportive. Overwhelming. Um, I remember I was working in the office and John Hughes, like I was in the back and I didn't hear him knock on the door. He walked up the driveway and in the back. And at that time, my window, my desk was facing the window. And I just saw John Hughes in my backyard. And I was like, oh, my gosh. And, and he but he's like a big old teddy bear. Um, and all he did was just he just. You know, he calls called me sunshine, I think, or beautiful. Hi, beautiful. I'm so sorry. And he just gave me this big hug. It was like hugging a teddy bear. And it was just so sweet. Oh, that's awesome. That's great that, you know, so many people, you know, in your in your lives came yeah. out to support you. And, I, and Scott, I do remember you sharing in a message at church of, mm -hmm. about Jimmy um, after he had passed away. Yeah, that was actually, I think, the first real message that I gave as a member of the sermon team. Oh, is that right? Yeah, it, really, it was. Uh, it was on Habakkuk. I did. It was Habakkuk, and when Doug asked me <laughs> if I wanted to share, and I saw, I hadn't really read Habakkuk that much back, you know. And I read it, and I was like, "This is just what I need to talk about." And it just, it was. It was I said, "Yes, definitely. You know, this this is the passage I should be sharing right now." Wow, that's amazing. So now, how did the the you guys get into the recovery ministry? Oh, that's an interesting story. It's a fun story. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's a fun story. It was, how do you remember when it was? Yeah, it was, uh, it was in 2007. Mm -hmm. And um, the church was doing um, a church-wide study on um, Rick Warren's Rick, 40 Days yeah. of Community. And, and our goal, with the, our small group, we were all supposed to come up with a uh, mission to do as a group. And you know, we were throwing out and Scott tells this story better because I left the room at one point, but we were throwing out like the food kitchen or the food soup kitchen and foods and all that stuff. And then I think I went out because it was, somebody was downstairs in the basement and I went down with another mom to check the child. And then Scott says that somebody threw out, Dan Regan threw out, how about prison ministry? And it got, really got kind of quiet. <laughs> Because this was a couples group, now, yes. number, number one. It's a couples group. So, mm -hmm. and Dan, the whole time we were throwing things back and forth, like Michelle said, soup kitchen, habitat for humanity, you know, all these things that are just typical. Dan was just sitting there. And we found out later that this had come into his mind like the week before, and he just, he just blew it off. But the whole time we were talking about it, he said it just kept rising to the front. And he finally just blurted out, what about prison ministry? And so the room just got completely silent. We talked a little bit about it, 
you know, and, and we basically left that day thinking, okay, we'll come up with something next week. Yes, exactly. The silence is not usually, oh, we're all stunned by how great the suggestion is. It's usually, well, oh, that's not we, we, um, the and, yeah, yeah, the thought process was what none of us have ever been in prison. None of us know anybody that's been in prison. None of us know a prison guard. You know, we are, you know, a bunch of suburbians from Yardley. What, what, <laughs> what are we going to do in a prison? We have to offer in a prison. So, again, most of us thought, okay, we'll, we'll just perform. Well, that week, Christine Manorino was at work adjusting a client and got into a conversation. And the client just happened to be an associate pastor at Christian Life Center in Ben Salem. And she mentioned, Christina mentioned what we've been talking about. And of course, the, the pastor said, we have a prison ministry at our church. Would you like me to connect you with them? Yeah. Isn't God funny? <laughs> <laughs> and a week, a week later, uh, Bob Safransky and, and Royce McKelvey from the ministry showed up at our Bible study, and they spent 20 minutes or so explaining what they do. Um, and basically what they were doing at that time was they were going in once a week into uh, Kern Fromhold Correctional Facility um, in Philadelphia to lead a worship service. And they answered, they, we asked questions, they answered questions, and then they left and we talked about it. And we all decided that this sounds like a good thing to do. So we, we signed up for to get uh, uh, guest badges to go in one night. And the first night that we went, seven of us went in. It was actually four ladies and three men. Mm -hmm. And uh, we went in. And funniest thing for me was, you know, I really expected that when that door closed behind us, when we walked into the, from the lobby into the actual prison, that it would be terrifying. It was not. It was not even a little bit. Yeah, it just none was, of us were, at least I don't, I wasn't frightened at all. Yeah. Wow. Um, I didn't feel any kind of fear. Yeah. So a couple weeks later, we went again. I think that night, Anthony Manorino spoke. He was the only one from our group that talked at all. Just just shared a little bit about why we were there. A couple of weeks later, we went back for a second one because we were allowed to go in twice in a two-week period or three times, I forget. But And then uh, after that, a few of us, I think three couples, three or four couples decided we wanted to get badges and join the ministry. And we did. And we went in at different times. And it wasn't until... That was in 2007. It wasn't until the end of 2008, 2009 that I really started going regularly. Mm -hmm. uh, I was out of work. So I started to just get more involved. And, and that's when I really got really involved in it. And you yeah, continued. I continued for a while. Um, and basically, as a woman, what you do um, is you just, you know, you have to keep your distance, obviously. But I would greet them when they came into the room and shake hands and ask how they were just basic greetings um I do remember one night though and they were nice men they they were so respectful like I always say they almost look like they were bowing like they it's like they, they they were like bowing when they took your hand they were so sweet and and so kind but one night I had seen this one gentleman I think it was for several weeks and I guess he you know he got friendly he came in and he just out of habit went to hug me. And I was like, and not that I was afraid, but I didn't want him to get in trouble. And I'm looking at the guard like, oh, please don't, you know, I mean, he was completely respectful, but the guard just laughed because it was kind of cute and funny. Like I was all upset, like, please don't, don't get mad at him. He's okay. It's fine. But it was funny. Like, I think he just was like, oh, like a good friend. How you doing? I haven't seen you. And it was funny, but, and he was very respectful, but 
I enjoyed going in. Um, but I, I gave my badge up because at that time, there were a lot of people that wanted to volunteer to go in. And I felt that, I mean, as much as I enjoyed it, I didn't know what I was really offering. And I knew that there were other people that wanted to actually go in and speak and, and give the word. And that just isn't my comfort level. So I think at that point, we probably got more involved on the, the recovery side of it. Can you talk a little bit more about the recovery side of it, what that entails and what that ministry yeah, is? Well, the, the, the ministry started, Bob Safransky is the director of the ministry. He was actually in Kern Fromwell Prison back in 97. Mm -hmm. um, and he went to his first church service in 97 and was saved. And, was saved. Um, and when he was released, he went back into the prison then started this new ministry. He took leadership of it. And then in 2004, I think he created CLPM, Christian Life Prison Ministry. And then a couple of years later, they added recovery meetings. And this was before mm -hmm. Raftel. They added recovery meetings. So it became CLPRM, Christian Life Prison and Recovery Ministry. And then and, and then we started getting, we started, when we started, we weren't that involved in the recovery stuff. I think we might've gone to a meeting here or there. Mm -hmm. um, what they were doing for the most part at that point is just having one recovery meeting a week at, at the Christian Life Center. Mm -hmm. And like I said, it was a Friday night, which was just tough for us on our schedule. So it really didn't work too well. And then in 2010, the ministry incorporated to become a 501c3. And I was asked to be treasurer since I have a financial background. So I became treasurer and we started getting a little bit more involved. Things continued to grow. In 2011, they started the monthly coffee house. Mm -hmm. Christian, Life. Christian Life. 2013, they did the first music festival. And then things just continued to grow from there. Where um, Before COVID, at least, the ministry was doing about 40 activities a month. Uh, whether it was prison services, recovery meetings, coffee houses, you know, various things. And we're actually back up to over 30, I think, mm -hmm. even though we're not back in most of the prison stuff right now. So, so all I can think of when I hear recovery is drug and alcohol rehab recovery. But mm -hmm. this recovery is for prison once they get out? No, not, not no, really. It's, it's, for, it's for the... CLPRM is 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 for, is for recovery from people struggling with addiction. Okay. The the, the re, one of the big reasons for opening that up though is because of the prison. See, so many people come out of prison. They go back to their old habits. They go back to their old habits. So then they end up and end up back in prison. Yeah. Uh, yeah recidivism is is crazy. I mean, it's eighty five percent for this the regular person. It cuts down to 35% or 33% if you come to faith while in prison. And if you, when you get released from prison, if you get yourself a, a church that you become a member of, it goes down to like 10%. So one of the things we wanted to do was to, you know, have that offer of, you know, whether it's because, and also so many people that are in prison are in there because of addiction. They're, they're not in the there because led they, them to make bad choices, bad choices and the choices put them in the prison. Right. Um, but a lot, not, I mean, most of the people that are in the recovery meetings haven't gone to prison. Well, they're, not, you know, know, not probably a good portion, but it, it grew from right. that idea to opening up to anybody that's struggling with addiction. Okay. That makes and, sense. Well, you, I know we, when we go to the church, we hear that a lot recovery and then you get the prison ministry and they're always said in the same kind of sentence. And I'm like, to me, I guess in my 
mind, I never really, like, obviously I know there's a lot of overlap for people that go to prison for drug charges and things, but I don't really connect them. Like usually when I think like prison ministry, I think of, like you said, going into the prison. And then afterwards, if I was thinking prison ministry, I was thinking like, okay, keeping them, making sure they get jobs and stuff like that. But but it makes sense, the connection you're saying, I just wasn't, Never, I never was quite connect, like connecting when they said recovery. I'm like, I only can, I only think of drug and alcohol rehab. Yeah, and that that really is again, it's really two different things. There's the prison ministry and there's the recovery mm-hmm. ministry. Gotcha. Um, we're sense. involved now. Again, early on, we were very involved in just the prison side of it. Now, well, until I get back into prison, it's only recovery. Yeah. But then, you know, we we actually started a couple of things ourselves as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, back in 2010. Woodside did the first churches left the building and trying to decide what to do. Bob introduced me to Billy Donnelly from Addictions Victorious and I went to their church and we did a recovery service at Calvary Full Gospel in, in Fairbanks Hills. A bunch of lasagna. A bunch of lasagna um, and, and did a worship service for the people that are at recovery groups there. And then the next year we did it again. After that, we were talking with Billy Donnelly, who was mm-hmm. our connection with it, and he said we should do this every week. And he said we can't do this every we do week. Do this every week. <laughs> so we went back and forth a little bit, and then Michelle was finally the one and said, "Well, what if what if we could do it quarterly, mm-hmm. and we could do it at Woodside?" And that's what led to the quarterly recovery worship service and luncheon that we still do now. Mm-hmm. We started that in 2012 in February, and we are, have been doing that except for four times during COVID. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we didn't. Um, so that's you know one of the things. And then in 2017, yeah, again Billy invited us to come down to a recovery house in Frankfurt to speak about our loss. Um, mainly, be, the, his main focus was that there's a lot of people in recovery who think because of all the hurt they've done to their families that they've cut them off and that nobody loves them anymore. So what we wanted to come down and say was that you know while we were angry. And, you know, we, you know, you know, we were furious at times with Jimmy mm-hmm. and even after he passed away and you know, we were angry with him for leaving us like that, we still loved him. And that connection we could just see. And in fact, after the meeting, we stayed for like 45 minutes or an hour mm-hmm. just talking with the people there. It really was a beautiful night too, because, and we found out later that uh, there's usually, I think maybe a dozen people that came to that particular meeting. Um, we went in there, there had to be 40 or 50 people there, which we didn't know. At the, I thought that was normal, but, you know, it was, it was really a really beautiful night. I, I think, you know, I, I was definitely very angry up to that point and afterwards, but I did feel um, a connection with the people that were in that room um, and hearing their stories was just so sad you know, like stories of a young woman saying that, well, when she was a child, she would go into the store and steal drugs for her, like steal aspirin or whatever for her mother. So her mother and father could go buy drugs. So that was the upbringing they were brought into or raised up in. So it just cycled into their own life. But it was just really sad to see these people, these young people, all ages, all races, you know, men, women, young, older. It was, it was insane, actually. It was very sad. But in every one of them, I, I saw Jimmy in there. And I think that softened my heart. I think it took some of my anger away that I was feeling. And from that, you know, we were driving home. One, I don't know if it was that night or later. It was that night. <laughs> it was okay that night. And I said to Scott, you know, it's so sad that they can't leave this because they're in this, 
this um, area that they can't drive from, they're stuck. And out their door are people selling drugs and here they are trying to get clean. It just wasn't a healthy environment. And mentioning that it would be great if they could come to Ben Salem, but how would they get there? For the coffee house. For the coffee house. And I said, you know, maybe we should do a coffee, bring a coffee house to them. Maybe we can do something here. And he said, no. <laughs> And that's what, that's what he said. And I'm like, well, I think that we can. And, and they kept telling me, how could we do this? I'm like, well, we'll figure it out. We can do this. And then I think several months later, Travis and Allegra were here. And again, we connected with Billy. Well, that was, well, a, that later, that was quicker, yeah. No, that was quicker, actually. The, yeah. the day after she told me and finally convinced me that it made sense, <laughs> I called Billy up and told him what she said. And Billy was all on it. Yeah, He's good. I think less than six hours later, he calls us back and said, there's a church right around the corner that said we could go there and do it. Yeah. You're right. And then and when we, we kind of took a little bit, because that was like in February. That was February. So we tried to plan things and thought things. And then she said, Travis and yeah, I were here in June, June for a month. And we had a Friday night that was open. And we said, hey, do you guys want to do a coffee house? And they said, yep. So we went down. June of 2017, we did the first recovery cafe. Yeah. And once again, except for the period of you know year mm -hmm. and then half of COVID, we've been there every month since. Yeah. And it's good. It, it's really, I, I really enjoy that night. I our, really do. Our daughter goes as well. And I think for both Michelle and Liz, um, that was really their beginning back of their recovery. You're right on that. You're right. And and Liz does. She comes down with us every month and she she helps out and she really enjoys going and she's developed some relationships with people down there. So it's nice. That's yeah. good. And that's amazing how God works and how mm -hmm. God has worked within your lives and through your story, you know, to help other people. Definitely opens the doors. Yes, for sure. <laughs> and, and that you all were obedient enough to walk through is <laughs> <That's> true. <laughs> But it was kind of independent in a way. You're you getting into the prison ministry and then recovery ministry and and Jimmy's addiction. Well, yeah, I mean Jimmy's addiction came first. Yeah, um, it was. And, and we were dealing with it in different ways, you know, outside of that. In fact, we weren't going to church. No, we when, didn't bring any church. faith into to that um, yeah. situation. Well, then, we were, in the beginning, we were, and when he when we first found out, we weren't going to church. Right. We were still or sometimes Catholic church, but we weren't part of Woodside yet. It is all separate. Like we weren't, I don't know if, if Jimmy's addiction maybe piqued our, not our interest. I'm not sure if I can think of how yeah. to put that together, if it was a separate thing or maybe in the back of our minds, you know, we knew he had a problem and it just was something that we just gravitated towards. I'm not yeah. sure. I don't know either. Yeah. Because yeah, that's all, it was also, what it was, I guess, somewhere around 2013 or 14 when we did our first uh, backyard cardio worship service too. We, we do that once and a he year. Was here. Jimmy, Jimmy was, was here, here and he was very helpful. very helpful. Travis and Allegra again were the, the mm -hmm. they were the first one that, that did that. And yeah and that was kind of funny too. I think um, Travis and Allegra were it was like on a Tuesday and they were looking for something to do on either the Saturday or the Sunday. And um, they couldn't find anything. And again, I'm like, why don't we do it here? I have come up with the best ideas. And he tells me we're going to do it. He goes to do it. Like, why don't we do it here? We can't do that. Sure, we can. <laughs> we did. Yeah, first, time, first time we did it, five days later, we had 85 people in our backyard mm -hmm. for a worship service. Yeah. It's all been 
has been such a blessing. And Woodside has just been such a blessing to it all. I mean, everybody there has been so supportive throughout the whole thing. One of the things I love about Woodside is, you know, you go to you go to Pastor Doug with an idea, um, and he doesn't sit down there and go through all the red tape issues about, you know, you know everything. It's just, you know, is it for Jesus? Yes. How can Woodside help? Then it's up to you to do it. <laughs> you know, you come up with the idea. You got to run it. Yeah, they're always there, you know, both with, with him and the staff and also the volunteers. I mean, the recovery service, I just, we had like 15 volunteers this last yeah. two weeks ago. And, yeah. and a few people from uh, Woodside come on Friday nights too. Yeah, yeah they def- we definitely have a lot of support at the church. for listening to the faith in the family podcast if you like the podcast make sure to follow us on your podcasting platform of choice or on youtube don't forget to give us a five-star review or thumbs up if you love the show and want to see us do this for years to come please consider supporting us monetarily at anchor.fm slash faith in the family with a hyphen in between each word in faith in the family finally do you have an idea you want to talk about or do you simply want to provide some constructive feedback Feel free to email us anytime at info at faithinthefamily.us. Thanks again for listening. May God bless you.